0: have your Bible and please turn to the book of Jude Jude you can pick any chapter you like Jude You'll be fine anywhere there if you're not sure where Jude is look to the back at Revelation the last book and go forward one or go back one to the book of Jude Been thinking about this letter for a few weeks now and you can only imagine this song that keeps playing through my head. Is uh, Unfortunately, I only know the first line, so it it's just kind of plays on repeat. It uh, has nothing to do with this letter. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's probably better. We're going to begin a few weeks in the letter, to, well, a letter from Jude. To a group of people that uh, we really don't know much about, but there's, as you can see there, there's just a whole chapter. It's 20, 25 verses long there. But within the 25 verses are just gobs and gobs of truth. And I was talking to a friend uh, this week, and he said, "Oh, I preached through Jude." And I said, "Oh, really? You know, how long did you take?" And he said, "Ah, three months." Wow, three months. How would you get? Spent three, but there really is that much there. We're not going to take three months. We'll probably go a little longer than that and uh, spend some time in June. Uh, now we're, we're going to, um, this morning, um, probably only cover the first three verses, even though you're, you have a bulletin there it says we'll cover the first four. But just for sake of making sure that we give everything appropriate attention, we'll spend probably just that much time in, in this letter here. I went away, and my glasses are gone, so i got to find them. There they are. I'm going to read um, for you the first few verses of Jude. We'll read further than we will plan to go this morning, but just to give yourself a a familiarization with what the letter is all about. Beginning in verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called Who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Our Father, this morning, we just simply ask that you would speak to your servants, for we are listening. We need to hear from you. We do not need to hear a man's thoughts, we do not need to hear platitudes, motivational speeches tips for life, we need to hear from our Creator and our Father. The One who is above all things. So we ask that You will speak through Your Word to our hearts and by Your Spirit cause us to know what we need to know from these words we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If we just listen to what we, what we read in these first few verses. We kind of get a general idea of what the letter to, from Jude, and if I accidentally say to Jude, just translate it in your mind as from Jude. We get an idea of what the letter is all about. Really, the first four verses tell us everything we need to know at least about what Jude wanted to do. Then in verses 5-16, through 16, he unpacks, uh, in so many different ways. Illustration after illustration and in uh, just so many word pictures that Jude will paint for the people here to describe what he already said he wants to talk about in verse number 4. So this morning, we'll probably look a little bit more like a teaching overview of, a, of an entire letter in which we only focus on the introduction, which is, Why you have such a flashy title in your notes, Introduction to Jude. Reading these will give us uh, all that we really need to know in in an introductory sense to understand what Jude has to say. Because before we can do anything with this letter, we need to understand what Jude was going to say. what, What the Spirit of God and the human writer Jude was intending to communicate not first to us, but for those Christians in the first century, and what that was meant to communicate, and then we can understand what this letter does for us. So in a sense, we're looking at the first four verses, but in another real sense, we're looking at the entire letter. And I would encourage you to take the five minutes to sit down this afternoon and read the entire letter of Jude, uh, and even once a day to spend the few minutes that it takes to read the letter many times and saturate yourself with this letter, taking uh, note of what he says and why he says it and how he says it so that as we spend the next few weeks looking at these 25 verses, God's Word will open up to us maybe in a way that it had not previously done. We know very little about this man named Jude. Comparatively, at least from what we find of these other people, there's not a lot of mention of this man Jude, which is, his name could also be Judas. There's actually quite a few Judas, Judes, and Judases in the scriptures. Some uh, not so good, some a little bit better than others, and some scholars even suggest that this name was, this this book was called Jude so that we wouldn't think Judas. Because there's, really, there's many Judases, but really only one that we all think of right away. And so, to keep our minds off the wrong track, uh, some suggest that he called it Jude for that reason. As little as we know about Jude, though, we know even less about the people that he's writing to. really doesn't give us the information like many of Paul's letters do, or it says you know, to the church in Philippi, or to the churches in Galatia, or on and on. Uh, even sometimes uh, if they're not specific churches, Peter and John will write to uh, specific churches and, and he'll maybe even give some sort of a, uh, of a, of a Jewish nature or a region where they might have been. But We don't have any of that here in Jude. If you are interested in doing a little bit further study, there are many, many similarities with Jude and the second epistle of Peter. And that kind of gives us some, some clues as to who may have been written Uh, too, but we really don't have to know all of those details that are helpful and nice to have. We don't need them all if we're going to understand the purpose of the letter. Though we don't know much about Jude and we don't know much about the people that he wrote to, this is what we do know for sure. Jude loved God. And Jude loved the people of God. And wherever Jude was, he desired that the people that he wrote this letter to would be grounded in the truths of the Gospel. He wanted them to know it inside and out, backwards and forwards, and be grounded in it because there's some dangers presently in their churches. He wanted them to know the wonderful salvation that all believers share. Even us. In this 2,000 year period between the letter writing and our time, the wonderful salvation that every believer in Christ shares with each other and in Christ. Jude, as I said, could see a dangerous thing happening within these churches. I don't know if it was one church or groups of churches, we're not really, can't be really sure there. But he saw something and knew that it had to be addressed. And Jude, in his short little letter, will unpack one big truth, namely about the Gospel, and warn the churches of some very dangerous perversions of the Gospel, and how that's going to affect them negatively, and give some instruction to these believers on how they are to respond to that. So this morning, we are going to just try to get a sense of what Jude is meaning to, to communicate, and then in the coming weeks, looking at that in more detail. So our outline is pretty short, it's pretty simple. Uh, it's just an introduction, who I am and who you are. Jude says some very important things in a piece of the letter that we might be tempted to skip over because it doesn't look like the meat of the letter. This is the usual, the customary form of letter writing of the day in our time if you write a letter many of us don't write letters anymore but if you send an email uh, you usually write your name at the bottom that's how you know who wrote the letter and then at the top of the letter you tell who it's to and that's how the person knows who's supposed to be reading this letter but in this day as we learned in in other letters as we saw most recently in Philippians uh, that the ancient custom was to begin a letter with the sender's name so that's why it's Jude and then to address the letter immediately afterwards. So to uh, whoever you're writing to. And then follow it with a greeting, which we have here in verse number two. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So that's really what we want to focus our attention on this morning. Because as I said, it, it may seem perfunctory. It may seem just kind of you have to say these, these things, and then you get on to what you really want to say. But in these two verses, we have so much... And Jude is intentional in everything he says just in these two verses right here. That's what we want to catch as we are, as we are walking through the letter. So first of all, we see that Jude, uh, the first part of our outline, Jude just simply wants to know, tell them who I am. Who I am. Uh, Jude is going to introduce himself and he does it in two ways. and They're right there for you to see. He says he is the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Now, just like the uh, Old Testament or the New Testament writers, uh, all identify themselves as servants of Jesus Christ. uh, A more literal translation of that word would be the slave, Uh, not not a servant by uh, this is my job and this is my my choice, but the slave of Christ. I am bound to him. There is no release, and I can't be more pleased about that. That I am bound to Christ. This is the word that servant communicates. And Jude wants them to know before anything that he is the servant of Jesus Christ. That's important for a couple of reasons. First of all, because in a few verses, verse number 4, he is going to contrast his position with Christ with the outsider's position who are those who deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. If you look down at the end of verse number 4, it says that they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They do not view themselves as the servants of Jesus Christ. They view themselves as deniers of that. They deny the Lordship of Christ. Another reason that this is important that Jude begins his letter like this is because whatever he is going to say, he does so with the authority of his Master, not himself. Jude is not presenting himself to the people as one that deserves their respect one that deserves their awe and their admiration and their attention. Jude says, Understand what I am going to say, I say as a servant. I say as a slave to Jesus Christ. Secondly, he describes himself as the brother of James. Now that's kind of funny that you would throw in who your brother is, right? And we have brothers, and most of us don't. Uh, you know, myself, I don't start letters with Tim, brother of John. Like, why was that necessary? And, and when I throw that in there, if I were to throw that in there, you might be tempted to think maybe he did so for a reason. And that's what we should be thinking when we read uh, this from Jude. He's the brother of James. Now, just as there are a lot of Judes in the Bible, there are a lot of James, Jameses in the Bible. There's a lot of guys and none of them went by Jimmy. It was all James. And, and a lot of them didn't uh, get their, their last name recorded. So we have to do some some guesswork some investigation uh, to figure out what James uh, or what Jude means by being the brother of James but most scholars agree that from the book of Acts on if you find the word, the name James by himself just James it's usually referring to the same guy the guy who wrote the book of James the, the James who wrote James the James of the Jerusalem church, Acts chapter 12 and Acts chapter if you remember, they had a big council uh, all to discuss whether or not the Gentiles needed to become as Jews in order to be Christians, and the result of that Jerusalem council was no, Jews, uh, uh, Gentiles do not come to Christ through Judaism, uh, Christ has given them the Holy Spirit uh, outside of that, and so there is no need for circumcision and following the law and all of those other things. Well, presiding, as it were, over this council is this man named James. James is probably the pastor or elder of the Jerusalem church. He became a very prominent and respected uh, man within the Christian world at this time. And this is probably the James that Jude refers to. Uh, if you look on the back of your bulletin, and this afternoon, and we'll look. One of the things we'll just look at some of these verses, and you can see for yourself and make your own decision. Not everybody thinks this, but most, a lot of people do, that this is who he's talking to. Well, one of the important things to recognize, if this is the James, is that this James is often also thought to be the brother of Jesus. Uh, for instance, and there's a lot of verses on this, but uh, we'll just I'll just notice one in Galatians chapter one, when Paul talks about his conversion and the early stages of his ministry, he gives a timeline of all the things that he did from the moment he was saved until um, kind of until his ministry really got kicked off at the Jerusalem Council. Or at least that was that was part of that. Well, one of those uh, pieces of the of the timeline. He includes going to Jerusalem to meet with two men, Peter and James. And in Galatians 1.19, he says, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So, he's not talking about James, the brother of John. You know, James and John, the sons of thunder. He's talking about a different James. And this one he is describing as James, the brother of Jesus. Now, if... This James is the brother of Jesus, and Jude is the brother of James. Two plus two, one plus one, whatever it means. Uh, that Ergo, uh, Jude is possibly the brother of Jesus. Now, if you were the half-brother, because they didn't have the same dad, if you were the half-brother of Jesus, wouldn't you kind of let that drop quite a bit in conversation? Don't you think that that might give you a little bit of a reputation? It might give you some um, just automatic respect. It might mean that people listen to you a little bit more because you're Jesus' brother. Well, we, I don't know if we can be 100% certain that this was Jude, but I will say if this is the truth that Jude is the brother of Jesus, notice how he associates himself with Jesus. Not as the brother of Jesus, as a servant of Jesus Christ. Because first and foremost, whatever else he was, he was a servant, a slave to Christ. That's what Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4.1. He says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ. Don't get all uh, bent out of shape about oh, how talented they are and how great speakers they are and, and how wonderful they are at writing and, and teaching. View us as servants of Christ. Because Jude does not want to abuse the position that he has in writing this letter. He is not trying to gather a following. He is not trying to start a revolution. He is not trying to begin his own, uh, his own little cult. He says, everything I say to you, I say as the servant of Christ. Secondly, Jude tells them who they are. But in your notes, write who you are. Okay, Who you are. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know who you are. Now, we don't really know who these people are. The people knew who they were, right? They received the letter. They were reading the letter. But we don't have that information. So were these... Ephesian Christians? Were these mostly Jews? Or were there some Gentiles in there? Were they in Asia? Or were they, where were these people? We don't know. But Jude gives three descriptions of these Christians that are, are intentional and purposeful and very meaningful even to us. He says that in the second part of verse 1 to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. This is uh, this this letter is often linked and called one of the Catholic epistles because we don't know who this was written to. And the word Catholic is it just means universal. So it's a universal uh, one. Several other letters that don't have a specific address e on it, and so they're 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 categorized in this uh, uh, a Catholic or universal epistle. How does Jude then describe these unknown people? Well, in three ways. And I'll just kind of give you a little study note as we go through this, that this is the first of many triads. Now, If you've seen a lot of action ninja movies, then you're thinking of the wrong triads, okay? We're not talking about the Chinese underground uh, criminal organization. We're talking about a literary term that just means a trio or a triplet, a, a group of three. And Jude loves triads. Jude loves to use groups of three. This is the first time we're going to see it. Uh, Called, beloved, kept. He's going to use it over and over and over again. So pay attention for them and you'll begin to see them as immediately as the very next verse with mercy, peace, and love. And he'll use that over and over again. Let's look at these three very carefully and understand what Jude wants them to know about themselves as Christians. First of all, he says that they are called. They are called. Now this word called as seems as so many other words don't necessarily mean what we think they mean in our modern day usage. If I pick up the phone and dial your number, I called you. You might not answer. That's not what he means there. It's not just some generic calling to see who will answer, but rather a very specific one. This word called is a salvation word. It's a word that is often used in the description of a Christian of a believer. And you can write these these passages down and look at them a little bit later and, and see what I'm saying there. But every time we see this in the New Testament, it's describing people who are in Christ. It's important to recognize. It's describing people who are saved, who are Christians. For instance, in Romans 1 and verse 6, Paul writes to the Roman Christians as you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, who are loved by God and called to be saints. Again, to the Corinthians, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1-2, he calls them those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these are called people because they have been in Christ. A very important instance of this word is in Romans chapter 8 what some of you will recognize as the golden chain of redemption. And in there, it talks about those who are called. Romans 8, verse 30. And those who are called, verse 30 says, those are the ones that He justified and those are the ones that He glorified. So the call is very specific and it's effective. It's not a call that goes out that might not get returned. It is is a summons. And it is a summons that is always obeyed. When God calls, it is effective. It does what it is intended to do. And when Jude writes to them, he says all of that in that one word, you are called. You have been called by God. It is not just being invited as if they had an option not to answer. They have been summoned by God. One scholar, uh, Tom Schreiner, uh, says that the term called does not merely mean that God invited believers to be His own. Those whom God calls are powerfully and inevitably brought to faith in Jesus Christ through the proclamation of the Gospel. He says the call of God is extended only to some and is always successful so that all those who are called become believers. And that's important. You have to get that. That if you are called, you are Christian. Okay? And this word called is going to contrast the people that James is writing to and the people that James is writing about, which we'll get to probably next week. So this is the first description. They are called. When you are called, it is because you are one of God's sheep. You are one of His chosen. The elect is what what the biblical term. God has opened your eyes. He has given you a new heart and caused you to believe and come to Jesus. And all of that is packed into the little word called. Secondly, they are beloved. And we won't spend as much time on the word beloved, but notice that they are beloved in God the Father. I like how the, the New English translation Uh, uh, renders this as wrapped in the love of God. It's important that the Christians that Jude is writing to recognize that they are called, but secondly, deeply loved by God. Once again, this is going to separate them from the outsiders that Jude is about to write to. Thirdly, they are kept. Kept for Jesus Christ. Very simply, They are safe in Christ. Now Jude begins and ends his letter with this idea of being kept. If you look down in verse number 24, which is his beautiful doxology, he says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, or keep you from falling, you are kept and you are kept. It's an important word. It's an important term. All three of these words have been produced, for the reader to get one big idea buried deep in their heart. Here's what it is. All of them describe what God did, not what they did. They did not call themselves. They did not love God. They did not keep themselves. All of it is to emphasize that God has done this. That God did it all. And since God is the one who called you, and God is the one who loves you, God is the one who keeps you. You could not... What's the song we sing? I could never keep my own through life's fearful past, For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He keeps us. He called us. He loves us. One, uh, someone once said, Jude roots our identity as Christians in what God does for us, not what we do for him. Now, there are certainly a lot of things that we do for God. We serve God, right? And servants do things for their master. But Jude does not want them thinking about what they do. He wants them to begin this letter thinking about what God has done for them, because quite honestly, what he has to say is not very good. Very negative. It is frankly damning, condemning, and judging. But not to them. And Jude, before he gets on to them, he wants you to understand who you are, because you have been called. You have been loved. You have been kept. Jude wants us to understand what the Gospel is before he explains what the Gospel is not. Then in in the greeting in verse number 2, he continues with this Gospel news. Even though it looks just like a little greeting. He continues with Gospel news. May mercy... Peace and love be multiplied to you. Mercy, peace, and love. This is not quite like Paul's normal uh, greetings. He usually uses grace and peace. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, uh, the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, or just grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul likes grace and peace. Jude uses mercy, love, and peace. We'll unpack this more, but just for sake of time. Here's why Jude, I think, uses mercy, love and peace. First of all because they're going to need mercy because in verse 22 they're called to show mercy. They're going to need peace because in verse 19 there have been divisions among them. And they are going to need real love because in verse number 12 it describes the outsiders who have been feeding them on their own selves and doing things not for the good of the body but for their own good and they will need real love. And Jude says that which you already have in Christ, mercy, peace, and love, may it be multiplied to you. May it continue and abound over and over and over again to you. That is his prayer request for these Christians. Jude's description is a Gospel description. His greeting is a Gospel greeting. And everything that He has said to them is about to impact the way that they understand the rest of His letter. So if we're going to understand what the way that we should read this letter, we need to understand we are the same as He describes these Christians. We are not Christians in Jerusalem or Ephesus or wherever these Christians may have been, but if you are in Christ this morning, you likewise are called, kept, and beloved, and mercy, and peace, and love have been extended to you from God the Father. And it will be multiplied to you through Jesus Christ. Now notice just very very briefly in verse number 3, this is what Jude wanted to do. He wanted to write about a common salvation. Now I wish I knew a little bit more about what he meant by that. I think maybe he wanted to write some beautiful treatise about how glorious this, the, the, the salvation of our God is. Maybe he wanted to teach them some specific aspect of salvation, much like Paul uh, you know, takes the book of Romans and basically writes his own systematic theology. And maybe Jude wanted to do something like that. But instead, he said, I saw something happening in the church that was more pressing, more urgent. It needs to be addressed before I can talk about our common salvation. And so this letter, instead of about writing about the common salvation, he says, i writing to you about the need to contend for the faith. You need to contend for the faith. And notice two things about this faith. It is a faith that was delivered, and it is a faith that is once for all. This word delivered is often used in the New Testament to describe the handing down of a tradition. Traditions sometimes are good, sometimes are bad. We live in a very old part of the country, as far as old country goes, and there are a lot of traditions here, as opposed to, like where I'm from, the Northwest, there's not as many traditions of things. But, you know, we all have our traditions. What is the tradition that was delivered or handed down to them? Jude calls it the faith. Now, when we're talking about the faith, sometimes we're talking about the act of believing. Sometimes, as is the case here, we're talking about a set of doctrine. Basically, this is the Christian essentials. This is what Christians believe. And this is what was delivered to you from the apostles down, in their case, probably just one generation. But it's the same faith that has been passed down from generation to generation, and is the faith that has been delivered to us. The faith, as we say, the faith of our fathers. Maybe more accurately, it's the faith of the apostles. And even more accurately, it is the faith not original with the apostles, but that which they handed down and received from Jesus Christ. This is important, because their faith was under attack. Just as it is today. Faith, the faith, is under attack. And wants the people to know. You need to understand what the faith is so that you can contend for it, so that you can defend it. Let me just ask, and just as we can summarize here a little bit. What is your faith the faith? See, the the faith that Jude describes, he also describes as once for all. That means it's unchanging. Once for all faith means the faith that was delivered from the apostles to these Christians is the same faith that we have received. See, culture and society changes and what used to be bad is no longer looked at as bad today what used to be called sin is today something to be proud of is today very normal at least that's what we're told to think but if it's the faith it is once for all it never changes we can rely on it because it is the faith delivered once for all, once for always to the saints. So is the faith that you have, the faith that you're holding, the faith that was delivered to these Christians? Is it the faith that the apostles taught? To know for sure, you've got to know what the faith actually is. Is your faith changing with the culture? Now, it's not that your faith should not change. Your faith may grow. Your faith may deepen as you learn the Scriptures. But is it the Scriptures changing your faith? Or is it the culture changing your faith? The way that society is going, and it's just easier to go along to get along, and Christians today, Christians today, do not always look like Christians of yesterday. Because the culture has changed their faith. Is your faith rooted in the traditions passed down from Jesus Christ to the apostles throughout the history of the church? Or is your faith kind of new to you and no one's ever believed quite the way you believe? What are we going to learn from the book of Jude? Very quickly, let me just share with you what we learn from Jude. First of all, Jude reminds us who we are in Christ. Jude reminds these Christians and, and every Christian that they are called. They've been chosen. That they are beloved and accepted. That they are kept safe and secure in Christ. And that we are Christians solely based on the work of God. Not us. Secondly, Jude encourages us to stand for the truth and to stand against the lies. But you cannot contend for a faith that you do not have and you cannot contend for a faith that you do not know. We must know what it is that we believe and why we believe it. We've got to learn what hills we're going to die on theologically. I've talked to people about that a lot. You can only die on so many hills, right I mean or, or use the other term you plant your hill on this, plant your flag on this hill, you only get so many flags, okay, so in marriage or in your job or in, 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 in even in theology, you only get so many flags are like i 'm dying on this hill right here. Jesus is the Son of God, you plant your flag on that hill and you say that is we 're fighting this one. I am going to argue, contend, I will not give this up. But there are other hills that sometimes we foolishly say, you know what? Dare, I dare you to challenge me on this one. And it's, and it's stupid stuff. Did Jesus have red hair like He does in all the pictures? Or is Jesus blonde? Who cares? It's not a hill to die on. And you know what? That's a silly thing. But there are things in the Scripture that are of first importance. That's the faith. There are some other things that you can say, you know what, I disagree. But I'm not going to fight you over that. And so we need to learn, and Jude will help us, what hills they are, we are supposed to die on. Technically you can only die on one hill. But I'm going to give you like video game lives. And so you can die on a couple. Okay? But you've got to know which one so that you don't die on the wrong ones. Because too many Christians either die on the wrong hills or try to go the opposite and say I want to be loving to everybody and so I don't want to die on any hills you know what you can have that ground I'll just find another hill to stand on until someone else says no you need to back off that too and they say, okay okay I don't want to cause any problems and they'll back off this no there are certain things worth fighting for I'm not talking about with your fists I'm talking about theologically, spiritually, we plant the flag and say, this one's not for sale. This one is not up for debate. This one is not up for grabs. I will be as kind and as gentle as I can, but I'm sticking it right here. Which ones do we do that for? Thirdly and finally, Jude will warn us of the dangers of false doctrine and of sin. We've got to know the danger that is out there. It is not good enough to bury our head in the sand and glory in our common salvation, there is a time and a place where we must know what is at stake. We must know what's going on. and We must be ready to defend it. I was talking to a friend just recently about this and he reminded me, the very people that Jude is writing about were sitting in the audience while the letter was read. These people as he calls certain people, who are all sorts of things. The only thing that gets close to as mean as Jude gets is Jesus himself in Matthew 23 when he condemns all these Pharisees. They were sitting in the room when, when the letter was written. But it needs to be said. It needs to be identified who is on our side and who is not. Who is... On the lord 's side, who is a servant of Christ, and who is it that denies our Master and our Lord? This is what we learn from Jude, and I hope that you 'll pay, pay close attention each week as we go through it. Take some time and think through these things but let's let 's uh, finish with the prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we have been given these words, words of comfort and hope, as we see in the first few verses, and yet we will uh, drastically change gears to warning and judgment. And I thank You just as much for those things. A very different type of a, of a, of a, of a sermon this morning for sure. But uh, we, we, we ask that You will minister to our hearts with these words. Ground those of us who are truly Christian in our faith. May we never doubt it. May we ha- not have to wonder. May we not have to keep thinking and and hoping, but be sure and confident so that we may build on our faith and grow in maturity. I pray that those who think that they are in they are Christians and truly are not, would see their error of their ways and and believe the truth rather than the lies that they've been told. I pray that as we study this this book that you will show us the faith that is under attack and that it was then and it is now, and that we might learn how we should be contending for the faith. Not mean-spirited, not with vitriol and hatred, but as you intend. May we learn where to plant the flag. May we learn where to stand and not give an inch, at the same time showing mercy and love and peace to those around us. Father, if there's anyone in the room that does not know Christ as Savior, we pray that that calling and that love and that security of the gospel might be made clear to them, that they might know the true gospel, that they might know what Christ has done for his people. And we desire that they would repent and and turn to Christ and believe the gospel. We desire that they would be called and loved and know the security of being kept in Christ. We leave that to you because we cannot make them and you are going to do the work in them just as you've done it in us. We give you thanks that you've done this work in us and we pray that you will continue calling your sheep to the fold. And we are confident that your sheep hear your voice and they follow you. And You give us eternal life. With Whatever situations each person is dealing with, I pray that You might give us a new understanding, a new appreciation of the Gospel. And not just its purpose for salvation, but its purpose every day of this Christian walk. And that You might give us hope. And that You might give us joy as we live out each day Your will for our lives in the power of the Gospel. Bless Your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.